Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I want to welcome everybody into my wonderful home in McKinney, Texas. And I want to welcome everybody that's coming from overseas and all over the world and from SoundCloud and YouTube. Welcome for your to me, just as you are just in my home as my family and my beloved ones in my home here. You are that same way to me. I consider you part of the family because you uh, support me through your views and through your listens. And so God bless you and welcome all of you all over the world. It's a pleasure for me to stand up here and be able to speak the word of God. And, you know, I get to glean all week long from what God teaches me. All week long, I look over the scriptures and I pray almost every day, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to know, you know, what do you want me to know this week? And what do you want me to learn this week and what do you want me to teach for this week's sermon and and every day it's like a you know like the floodgates are opening and the lord just pours on wisdom and knowledge to me and helps me create these sermons and and uh so i hear from god every day what to say every day i hear from him a little bit a little bit a little bit a little bit jesus you know and when the disciples came to him and they said lord teach us how to pray he said oh our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread. And not, that means there's so much, because Jesus referred to even that bread for, for I have food of which you don't see. It's, it's, it's spiritual food. It's, it's not real, it's not food like, you know, you'd eat a steak, but I have food. It's, it's every, I live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we need to eat. We need to eat by hearing the word of God, by listening to the word of God, by hearing from God directly. Our spiritual man needs to eat from those things. And I am so blessed because I get to hear from God every day on what to say and what to speak and Sunday's message. And I'm really so thankful that I get a chance to communicate with the creator of the universe every single day. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty amazing. Anyway, um, I'm going to pray before we start a service and uh, then we'll get going and I'll give you the chapter verses that we're going to be in and I'll give you the title. So join me in a word of prayer, please. I have to bless our service and ask for God to bless us and give us prosperity spiritually today, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, that we get to come before you today, Lord. Thank you so much that we get to stand here, Lord, and and listen to you. Well, well, listen to me, but I'm just regurgitating the words that you gave me this week, Lord. So thank you so much that you give us a chance to be here today, Lord. And Lord, you see, Lord, you look down upon man and you see what we're doing. You see everything we do, Lord. You, you see when we do wicked and evil. You see the intents of our heart behind that. You see when we're doing this. You see when we're doing whatever. But Lord, you also see that we're standing and sitting right here before you or listening wherever we're listening to on the internet. You see us that we're taking our time out of our day and we're coming to you and we're just listening to you. And we're wanting to hear from you, Lord. And Lord, I, those that listen to me on a regular basis and those that come into my home, they trust that I'm hearing from you, that I'm speaking your words because I'm reading right out of your word and they trust that. And so Lord, I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray you will continue to shower us with your wisdom and your knowledge, Lord. I pray you'd shower us with, with just wisdom and knowledge that we would get closer to you, Lord. Because that's, uh, you know, as we come to know you more, we, so that's us seeking you and seeking you by listening to these messages and me preparing, Lord. We're seeking you. And as we seek you, Lord, you will show yourself and reveal yourself to us more. And as you reveal yourself to us more, Lord, we can come to love you more. Because, Lord, we, you're so deep and you're so amazing and your love is so precious and deep. I just pray that we would continue, Lord God, to seek your face, continue to listen to you. And I pray you continue to see that we're faithful, Lord, standing here, sitting here, Lord, preaching and listening, Lord, to your word. And I pray that you would honor that, Lord God, and that you would bless us, Lord God, with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, Lord. I pray you bless us, Lord. Bless Gospel Saving Church and bless the hearers. And I pray we wouldn't just be hearers, Lord. I pray we'd be doers. Of whatever we hear, Lord, I pray we do. And I pray we'd respond to whatever it is that you're telling us, whatever it is that you're saying to us. So, Lord, may you be glorified and honored in this place, Lord, and may we honor you with our presence today, Lord, and may we keep our minds focused on what you want us to listen to, Lord, and speak to us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and teach us. Keep the devil out of this place, Lord. Bind him from these walls. Bind him from the homes of the listeners that I have all over the world, Lord, that when they listen, Lord, there would be no distractions, Lord. They'd just be able to listen intently to you and what you have to say to them. 
I love you and praise you, dear God. And I ask all these things and pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 through 39, we're just, uh, we're just progressing on from where we were last week. We ended in verse 31 of Matthew 15, and we're slowly working our way through Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to read it, Matthew 15, 32 through 39. The title of our message is, His Love Runs Deeper Than, and then not in the title, and you'll hear here, whatever you could imagine. Everything that you could think of, anything that you could imagine, His Love Runs Deeper Than. So there you go. There's our title. And I'm going to read the verses and we're going to get learning. If you want to join me, Matthew 15, 32. Now Jesus called the disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men beside women and children. And he sent away the multitude and got into the boat and came to the region of Magdala. Wow. His love is deeper than, and then you can just fill in the blanks. So remember the depth of love that Christ showed for us last week and the week before. And him being ready in and out of season. But especially the love that he showed being ready out of season. When he was not prepared, he wanted rest. And yet he went away, he took those special routes around Israel to go up on the mountain in the Decapolis region to be alone last week. And then the week before he went into the region of Tyre and Sidon to sit in the home of, of, of somebody there so that nobody would know it so that he'd get a break. And yet... The Syrophoenician woman came to him and kept hounding him and hounding him and hounding him. So we have two weeks in a row, and we don't know how long this took in Jesus' day. We don't get a time frame here of how long it took you know, this to happen to Christ, but it, they were consecutive events. The woman with the, with the child who was demon-possessed, and then the great multitudes from verse 30 of last week's chapter that came to him, and they wanted healings in the region of Decapolis. And remember the depth of love in each time these people came to him. Each time all these people came to him in his wanting to get away, in his wanting to rest, he was loving. He was patient. He was kind. And what did he do? He gave them the desires of their heart. He healed them. He took care of their needs. He, asked, he did everything that they asked of him even though he took all those special things and he did all those special things to get away and to be alone so that he could take a break from the world. Have you ever just wanted to go into your room because the world's getting to you and this that's happening in your home and everything and you just want to go in your room in a, in a room by yourself, shut the door and lock it and, and just shut everybody and the whole world out and just be alone. Well, that was what Jesus wanted to do these last two weeks, he wanted to go into a house, shut the door. He wanted to go up on a mountain, get away from everybody, proverbially shut the door and be away from everybody. And yet, his depth of love for people, when they came to him and they found out that he was there, caused him to react and caused him to respond to what their needs were. All I could say is Jesus' love runs real deep for mankind. Amen? I hope you guys can see that real easily. Well, it, even though it's hard to believe that his love runs that deep for us, because I know I'm not worthy of his great love, 
But believe it or not, this week we're going to get to see that his love runs even deeper for people than we just talked about in the last two weeks. You say, where? How could, is, how could we already see, how could we, how could we see even more of a depth of love than we already saw in the last two weeks? In case you missed it, it's the very first place we see it is in verse 32. I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to talk about it. So, in the midst of him doing this healings from 29 through 31, doing all these healings and doing all these miracles, he says, this verse 32, Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, so it's in the midst of this whole thing here. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days. They have nothing to eat, and I do not want them, I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. What's our scene again? Our scene is they're still on this mountain in the Decapolis region. Paint this picture for you. They're still up on this mountain where Jesus and his disciples came to just get away. He still all, you know, was, was there. Now, all the multitudes are still all around him. Many times in the Bible we read that they thronged him. They were pressing upon him. So you can imagine the scene. Multitudes in this section, especially great multitudes, this is thousands upon thousands of people, as we can even see a little bit later, how many people were actually there. There's thousands of people thronging him, always about him. And he's serving them by healing them. And healing, and healing, and healing, and healing, and healing. That's our, that's our scene. He still hasn't had hardly any rest, remember. We're going all the way back to the last time he got away, and when he sat in, in Matthew where John, he learned John died, and then he got up on the mountain by himself where nobody was around him, and then when he came down, and you know after he fed all those people before, Matthew was 14, where he fed the 5,000 people, and then he came down. That was the last time that he was alone. That was the last time that he had any chance to just meditate. That was probably the last time. Yet, he's still pouring himself out in a powerful way, healing these people or serving them. It's the same thing. Healing, he's waiting on them, almost like a, a waiter would wait on a, you know, a, a customer that's at a, at a restaurant. He's waiting on them. He's serving them. And in the midst of all this, you can imagine how he felt. And in the midst of all this, serving them, thousands of people, multitudes, he wanted to be alone. In the midst of all this, he calls his disciples to himself and he tells them four distinct things. And I'm going to break them down one by one here. And we're going to see that his love really does Run deeper than, again, fill in the blank, anything that you can imagine. First thing he says, verse 32, he says to them, he calls his disciples and he says, number one, I have compassion on the multitudes. Now, all I can say here is compassion on the multitudes. What? Are you serious? So that means his heart, compassion, his, his heart was welling up with love and compassion for thousands and thousands of people. Even though he went there to get rest, he went there to be alone, now he's been serving them and healing them. And he, in the midst of it all, he calls them and, he's, and he looks out at them and he says, I have compassion. Well, I, we talked about it last week. How about when you've been disturbed, when you've been interrupted, when you've been wanting to do something and then somebody comes in and they disturb you? The last thing in my heart is compassion. The last thing in my heart is love for that kind of person. Where is his compassion? Where is anybody having compassion on him? He's the one that's been there three days. He's the one that's been serving them, not them, him. He's the one that's had no rest. He's the one that went away to be by himself. Where's any compassion on him? Yet, they're bothering him. They're asking miracles from him. They're asking him to serve them. And he looks out at them and says, I have compassion on them. Wow. Think about that. He has compassion on those that put him out. 
those that ruined his vacation, those that ruined his rest, and those that have been coming to him nonstop, thousands of people asking him for miracles and healings. And yet, he has compassion on them. His love runs deeper. His love runs deeper. Because you know that is not a normal human reaction to what he was going through. You know there was no way that was humanly possible for any regular human being to have compassion on the people that put him out so badly. Wow. Number two. Second thing he says. He tells them, his disciples, they've now been with me for three days. Count them. Not one, not two, but three days. How long? Three, a couple hours? I went here to be alone? Three days. That means, in case you missed it, from verse 29 or verses 30 and 31 from last week that we looked at and those two verses where it says he went there and then the multitudes came to him from that point until now has been three days even though it's been only a couple verses that's been three days that he was doing that that means that he was healing people for three straight days doesn't say that they got a chance to sleep it just says that they've been with me now for three days. Imagine how busy he must have been. He's one man. Remember, he had to call the disciples to himself, which meant he was all alone in a sense with all these multitudes around him. I'm sure the disciples were in the picture somewhere, but for him to have had to call them to himself, they had to be somewhere where they could hear him, but yet they weren't right on top of him. So this is... Three days of solid healing. Well, just think about it. If we take verse 38, now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. What, what the Bible really said to us there is that's 4,000 just men. And then usually men traveled with their families and they would have at least one wife and then they'd have at least maybe one child, maybe multiple children. So this was easily 12 to 16,000 people that one man was healing over a three-day period. How long do you think it would take one person to serve 16,000 people? That's pretty intense. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty intensive. Where is the rest that he wanted initially? Where is his comfort? Where is his rest? Been serving them for three days. Wow, that's pretty intense. What's the third thing he says? He says that they have nothing to eat. Which means, if you read into that, that he's not had anything to eat for three days either. Because would it be right in him and his position, and God is always right, God is always just, would it be right for him in his position with the people having no food for him to eat in front of them? No. He wouldn't have eaten in front of them when they had no food. Where do we read him say, bring me some food? We don't. Yet he was all doing all the work and he was serving them consistently for three days. God also showed me here that this fact of three days with no food shows us that this was not only just any regular event. This was a healing frenzy. I kind of got that term in my mind. This was a healing frenzy. And you want to say, well, where, I don't, where do you see that? I, I don't see that. Well, that you got to think now. These 12 to 16,000 people went three days with nothing to eat. Morning, night, morning, night, morning, night, three days with nothing to eat. Well, when I'm alone and I'm not doing anything, I want to eat all the time. But when I'm like in the midst of a caught up in a situation and I'm busy and I can't think and I'm just, wow, I'm seeing all kinds of miracles and amazing things. The last thing on my mind is eating. So something made these people not want to eat or not even think about eating for three days. What was it? 
This was healing after healing after healing after healing. These people were looking on in amazement, their brains, they were like, whoa, what's going on? I, I mean, you mean I can go to these people? And then people were kept coming and more people were coming and more people were coming. So these people were seeing something that was making them forget about eating. And one healing every couple hours, that's not really going to be something that's going to keep 12 to 16,000 people from not wanting to leave with nothing to eat. This was a healing frenzy. Christ was nonstop. One to 16,000, do the ratio. There's only 24 hours in one day. There's only 60 minutes in each day. Even if it was a healing every, even if it was one healing every minute, do the math. He was hustling. He was busy. He had no help. He was the only one serving these people. And they came to him. And he wanted a break. Yet he has compassion on these people that are putting this kind of stress and this kind of strain on him. Do you see at all there how his love runs deeper for mankind than anything that you could imagine? That he would allow himself to go through something like this. He could at any point just left. He could at any point just said, I'm done done no more healing, walked off the mountain and dove into the sea if he would have wanted to. He was God in the flesh after all. Maybe he didn't need, need, need to breathe air. Could have transfigured himself and dove into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and nobody would have found him ever. But yet, he allowed these people to put him out and he served them for three solid days. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And he allowed them to do that to him. His love runs deeper. His love runs deeper. The fourth thing he says to them. He says to them, so concerned about them. He says, I don't want to send them away because they might faint on their way home. Wasn't he about to faint? Wasn't he about to just fall over from exhaustion? He was one serving 16,000. That's a pretty big ratio. That's a mirror. That's amazing right there. And yet he was concerned that they would faint on the way home. Not that he was going to fall over and faint. His love runs deeper. Each one of these four statements, each one of them cries out, my love runs deeper for these people than anything else in the whole world. Each statement that he makes just rings. I love these people. I love them. My heart is all about them. I, they're more important to me than anything I want anything I need or anything I desire. They're more important to me than any of these things. Anything I could want. Anything I could desire. I love them. I'm here for them. Not what about me. Do you see in this his self-sacrifice? The self-sacrifice that he gave shows me that his love runs deeper than anything else. Do you see his humility here? That though being in the form of God, and then he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, yet he came as a bondservant, as a slave to humanity, to serve and love humanity with his very life with his very actions. Do you see how his love runs deeper than anything in the world? You see here how his total concern was not for himself, not for the pressure that he was under, not for the struggles that he was having, not for the, the weariness, not for the hunger, but his total concern was not for himself, but for the people. It was for those that came and put him out. Those that came and really easily 
for any normal person, would have ruined their day or a week or a year, what these people did to him. And yet his total concern was not for himself. It was for them. His love is so deep, we can't even understand it. Paul writes to the Corinthian church about this love. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 8, 4 through 8, he says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up, look at me. It does not behave rudely. Ooh. Does not seek its own. That means it's about others. Is not provoked. Doesn't get all riled up. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. Does no pleasure in sin at all. But rejoices in the truth. This is love. Love bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. And endures all things. And then finally, love never fails. So I want to tell you something right now. If you go back and look at that on your own, which I want you to, every characteristic of love there in 1 Corinthians 13 was then, is now, and always will be forever describing the love that Jesus Christ has for us. It perfectly describes him and his whole being that he came to earth as a man. Because if you don't see here that he was put out, yet he thought no evil of these people. Yet he didn't think he was better than them. He didn't parade himself, look at me, look at, look at who I am. And yet he suffered long with these people. Three days with nothing to eat. Three solid days serving them and healing them. He didn't envy them. He loved them. He didn't behave rudely toward them. He didn't seek his own. What about my rest? Even out of season, these people came. And his love ran deeper than his own desires or needs or anything else in the whole world. 1 Corinthians 13 is exactly the way Jesus Christ was. It's exactly the attitude that he portrayed to mankind when he was on earth. And the Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means that he's always like this. In Ephesians 3.19, Paul speaks of the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That means if you're sitting here now and you're thinking to yourself, wow, I, I, I can't, I know you're reading it to me, but I, I can't even comprehend because nobody's ever loved me this way. I've never seen anybody love me this way. And I, I can't even think of the, how, I mean, how did he do it? And, and it, the love that he, that he showed it, I, and your brain feels, oh my gosh, it's about to explode. I, I can't even understand it. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 3.19. It's the love of Christ which passes knowledge. His love was so deep, it passes our very understanding of how much anyone or anything could love me or love them that much. Because his love runs so much deeper than we could ever imagine. The depth of his love is incomprehensible. His love for us is so great that he came to earth and he came and he served these people, these wicked, sinful people that came to him. And yet he poured himself out to their service for three days in the off season. He wasn't even prepared to do this when he went there. His love is mind-blowing. Absolutely. I hope you can see that here. <laughs> so, this great love that he shows and his great love that he has for all these people is pretty powerful. I hope you can admit, wow, that's, I never looked at it like that. That's, wow, that, that love is so powerful. So, in the midst of this love and he's loving these people, he calls the disciples over to himself. <clears throat> and he says to them, verse 33, 
or he calls his disciples over and he tells them this stuff. And he tells them his depth of love for these people. And how did his disciples respond to him telling them that? Verse 33. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Notice immediately, how did they respond? With selfishness and faithlessness. They respond to the love and the deep love of Christ with selfishness and faithfulness and faithlessness, excuse me. They didn't believe that there was any way that Christ or they could do this miracle, this thing that he was wanting to do. And all they looked at is, how are we going to find enough food to feed these people? How are we? Notice they were looking at themselves. They weren't looking at the needs and the people and the love of Christ, the deep love of Christ here. They were looking at themselves. They were looking selfishly at themselves and their own needs and their own wants and their own faithlessness. They had no faith that this could happen. Well, after their response, I'm really shocked that Christ, right in the midst of it all, I'm really shocked that we don't read him faceplant and groan in his spirit and say, oh, how long must I put up with this faithless generation, with these faithless disciples. Now, why did I say that? Because I'm surprised he didn't. You'll see why. So why did I say that? Why am I shocked that Jesus didn't respond differently to them? After all, didn't Jesus just ask an impossible miracle from them? Didn't he just ask them for them to do an impossible thing? You might be saying, Pastor Ed, aren't you being a little hard on these people? I mean, after all, you know, Jesus just said, I want to feed 12 to 16,000 people. But I don't believe so. I, I don't believe that that's true at all. And number one reason I don't think it's true is because if you look, read verse 32 again, he just tells them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have had now continued with me three days and nothing to eat and I don't want to send them away hungry, least they faint on the way. He never asked them to do anything. He never called them and said, like he did not in Matthew 14, in the feeding of the 5,000, he never said, I want you, disciples, to feed these 16,000 people. It wasn't a question. He was just expressing to them his depth of love for these people. It's, hey, guys, I don't want to do this. I love them too much. I'm afraid they're going to die on the way, even though he's been serving them for three days. It wasn't a question. But the number two reason why I'm surprised that Christ didn't just throw his hands up in the air and just give up on, on them and completely just move on, number two reason, is because don't they remember the feeding of the 5,000 people or the 15 to 25,000 people in Matthew 14, 13 through 21 where he did ask them to feed them. He got away again. He was there and all these people started coming. These 5,000 men, the Bible records, Minus women, or besides women and children. So it was another time when Christ was confronted with all these people just one chapter ago. This might have been less than a month that this happened. This just happened to them. And they at that time says, oh Lord, where are we going to get enough food to feed these people? Where's there going to be enough food in the wilderness to feed these people? Well, they just had that happen to them a month ago or less. And yet they're asking again, after they saw Christ, he fed them. He fed them. He fed them abundantly. Don't they remember him doing that? Don't they remember when he did? Of course they did. But again, again, they just had no faith. They had no excuse to give any excuses. They knew Jesus could feed this many people with hardly nothing because they'd seen him do it already. So how, how does it go? What, what happened in their discourse? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? So notice he didn't know how much food that they had. Remember I had said earlier, he probably hadn't eaten for three days too. He didn't know how much food that was even there or pretty much. He just, you know, how could he not know? How could he not know? He says, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven and a, and a few little fish. So they had a quick little back and forth. 
well, you know, he says, well, how many do you have? Come on, really? We don't got no food at all, nothing? I could hear it in his mind going, as long as I got something to work with, I'll do it. <laughs> now, what does Jesus' love running deeper than anything else for these people lead him to do? Verse 35 through 38. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took charge right away. He saw that he had something to work with. Just a little. He just had a little to work with. Made them all sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. And they were all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left over. And now those that ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. What does he do? What does his deep love lead him to do for these people? Repeat his previous miracle in Matthew 14, 13 through 21 in the feeding of the five or 2015 to 25,000 people. He did everything almost in the same exact way. Asked how much food they had. They told him, made the multitude sit down, took the food that they had, the little that they had. He blessed it. You want to know why Christians bless their meals before they eat? Well, we saw Jesus do it. Jesus blessed the food before he ate it and before he dished it out to other people. So that's why one reason Christians pray before they eat. Because Jesus did it and a Christian is a follower of Christ. So he did the miracle the same way, but this time it had a, a few different results. All the people were still all fed and they were full. He, you know, had the, you know, a similar like-minded amount of food. And then he did, made the multitudes all sit down. He blessed and broke the food, except for a few minor differences. This time he had seven loaves and a few fish. Last time he had five loaves and two fish. This time he took up seven large baskets of food. Last time it was 12 baskets, and then they weren't large. That means, in case you're wondering if, you know, this was just a morsel of food each for each person, you know, well, just, they just got a crumb. No, they all ate until they were filled, and then they were so filled. He kept blessing, and he kept breaking. He was on a rhythm, and then all he just started keep going, and it was just multiplying even past what was needed. God even sometimes, as we see here, will give us more than we need. This time, those that ate were 4,000 or 12 to 16,000 people, as I said earlier. Last time, it was 5,000 or 15 to 25,000 people, as I said earlier. Jesus Christ shows us here that because his love runs deeper, he was compelled to take the little the disciples had and multiply it into much and do a mighty miracle to provide for those who ruined his vacation, those that came and put him out. And in case you want to see another aspect, because I'm going to give it to you anyway, in case you want to see another aspect of how the love of Christ runs deeper, read verse 36 again with me. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, and he broke them and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the multitude. Did you see the step that was missed there? By his love running deeper? Did you see the step that was missed? He didn't eat first. He blessed and broke the food. Gave to the disciples, gave to the multitudes. He did not even eat first. He allowed the people that ruined his day, you could say, to eat before he did. He wasn't even selfish. Remember, love is not selfish. He wasn't even selfish to eat before the people. Wow, what selfless love that he shows us here. And the depth of his love, every aspect of his life, Every interaction that he had with people shows us that his love runs deeper than we could ever imagine. Christ shows us here again that he didn't just come to die for the sins of humanity and be resurrected and pay for our sins on the cross. He came to live for mankind and show us his love by his actions and by his intimate care for us. At this point, oh, we're on the love of Christ. It's awesome, and what he did is awesome. And yet, I saw something the other day that broke my heart for true 
the true service of Christ. And I, I'm just compelled to speak to those whom I love in the Lord and those that are real Christians out there that are, that are living their lives for Christ. I want to just say one quick side note at this point. You see, today we have some so-called Christian churches and organizations that look at sections like this here in our Bibles. And they make their entire ministries or their entire objectives in their ministries and their churches out of just feeding the hungry of the world and helping people, in other words, only giving what you'd call humanitarian aid to people. There's a whole big movement now, and I've met Christians who have a great sincerity of the Lord, for the Lord, and yet they have this great desire to only give humanitarian aid to people. Now, don't get me wrong, please. Humanitarian aid in and of itself is not evil, unless here's where it is evil. A Christian church organization only gives humanitarian aid in what they do. That's when it becomes evil. And you say, well, I don't really agree with that. Well, then you cannot agree with the Bible because what I have against this is exactly what God's Word has against just taking care of people's needs and, and nothing else. Paul writes to Christians in Colossians 3.17 and he says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all. What does the word all mean? All means every, all, everything you do. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And now in case, you know, we didn't get that, what does anyone not understand about whatever you do? Well, the definition of whatever is anything and everything. So whatever you do, Anything you do, everything you do, Paul wrote to the Colossians and said, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, notice he said, in word or in deed. That means that whatever you're saying nicely to somebody or whatever you're even doing for others, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Yeah giving glory to God. Now you might be saying, because God showed me this, you might be saying, well, Pastor Ed, we, I don't really see, Jesus didn't do that here. See, so you, you're wrong. Jesus didn't do that here. Je Jesus just fed them. Well, even though this concept in Colossians 3 is not clearly seen in these actions of Jesus right here, we can be confident that Jesus Christ did preach God's word to them while he served them. And how do we know this? Well, the Bible makes it very clear in Matthew 4, 23. And this would encompass Christ's whole ministry. And the Bible records, Jesus went about all Galilee, listen, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Preaching the kingdom of God, talking about the salvation of God was something that was not optional for Jesus' ministry, even though we don't always read it in the scripture. Why is doing all in the name of Jesus and bringing the word of God into people along with humanitarian aid so important? Because guess what, people? Humanitarian aid doesn't get people to heaven. Making people feel better and giving people all kind of medicine and helping them with their medical bills and, and helping people to, you know, to, to, to rise up and be more successful in life and helping them get off the streets if you're going to feed the homeless. All those things don't get people to heaven. Those are just good deeds that you're going to do. And nice deeds, and there's nothing wrong with nice deeds. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ... Because if you care about people and yet all you want to do is give them some humanitarian aid to help their physical body, that means you're telling them, I don't really care about you for eternity. I'm just, I just want to take care of you here right now so you feel better now. And what's God's ultimate desire? 2 Peter 3.9, God desires none to perish but all to come to repentance. In 1 Timothy 2.4, Paul's writing to Timothy when he tells Timothy, 
in speaking about praying and praying for all men. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, humanitarian aid without Christ is just good works. And if you don't bring God the glory and you don't do these things and give humanitarian aid in the name of Jesus Christ, then really what you're doing is you're doing a good work and who's getting the glory? Well, you're getting the glory, Christian. You're getting the glory. You're not giving any glory to God. Let's say you had a you were on the street and you really wanted to help somebody out and you see this homeless man and you're a Christian and he's lying there in the street and he doesn't look so good and he's hungry. He hadn't eaten in a couple days and nobody's been kind to him. So you go in the store and you give him a little something in there and you bring it out and you give him, hey, hey man, I want, to, I want to give you a little food. Here, take a little food. You look hungry. Oh, have a, have a nice day. And all that, man, he's so thankful. Oh, oh, thank you so much. And he starts eating and then he's walking away. You feel good. You feel good you feel good and then he feels you know he feels good and oh he gets nice and warm but what you don't know in the back of your mind is that that may be his last day to live he may be walking across the street the next day or even that night he may have had an illness and he may die in his sleep or he may walk across the street and get hit by a bus now that last bit of food that you gave that man did that bit of food help him in his eternity? Or did that feed him for the moment? But yet, if you do the same thing and you go out and you feel bad for him and you're a Christian, you say, oh man, I, I, I have just compassion on you. I know what Jesus felt like with all these people. I want to give you a little food and you know, I want to let you know, God put this love in me. Because he loves you through Jesus Christ. And I just want to let you know that Jesus loves you. And that's why I'm giving this to you. Because I'm only passing on what I've already been given. Jesus loves me and that love that's within me. I'm just giving that love to you. And here, man, eat. You may not have to preach to him. And you don't got to get him saved. And you don't got to break him down in the law and everything. All you got to do is do what you did. What Paul said in Colossians. And do all that you do in the name of Jesus. And then now that night or that next day when that man's laying there and maybe he's on his deathbed and you're gone long and never see him again. And then he's thinking and he's about to die and he just knows it. And he goes, wait a minute. <gasps> that, that nice man told me that he was just passing on God's love to me. God loves me too. Oh God, I need you. What have I done my whole life? And then he dies and he got saved. But you rob people of directions to heaven. If you just want to feed them and feed their fleshly body for today, not doing it in the name of Jesus. So Christians, we must be careful to do all that we do to the glory of God and to the name of Jesus. Because we don't save anybody. You want people to draw near to you? Or do you want people to draw to Christ and draw to God? Who's trying to get the glory when we're doing nice and kind things for other people and not doing it in the name of Jesus? And I had to take a serious look at myself in this one this week because I found myself a little bit coming up short here. We got to check ourselves. We got to look at ourselves. Who are we giving God the glory? Jesus Christ always gave God glory. So are you wanting to draw people to you or do you want to draw people to him because he's the one that can rescue us from our sin not us we're just human beings it's real simple just please just check yourself if you're a christian and you've done nice things for others just make sure you're doing it in the name of jesus i just was so compelled to do that because i just i can't not say it i saw something that this week it just made my stomach turn because it's just all humanitarian aid just it's all about giving people things it just really broke my heart and i know it breaks god's heart because he wants to get the glory because he can lead people to heaven, not you. So, back on track, verse 39, our very last one. He closes out his session with them by, verse 39, he sends them away, and he sent the multitude away, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. And in case you're wondering, what he does is he goes from the region 
of Decapolis, which is kind of down here in the Sea of Galilee is here, and he goes from here, and he goes back across the sea, and Magdala is an Israeli city three miles north of Tiberias, which is a very popular city in Israel. So what does he do? He goes from no rest, he wants rest, and he wants to get rest, and he never gets his rest. And so instead of being selfish, what does he do? He travels back into the land of Israel where he knows that the wolves are waiting. And what does he do? He puts himself right back in season. He puts himself right back in the line of the gunfire. He just says, all right, I'm going back there. And as we'll see next week, he, he just gets slammed by some evil religious leaders that come to him. So we'll talk about that next week. But what I see here again, he didn't try a third time to get his own rest. He realized, hey, I'm here for the people. I love them more than anything. And he goes back over. He probably slept in the boat, maybe. Hopefully, he probably slept in the boat. And he comes back over to the land of Israel and he puts himself back in season. I hope today you saw the amazing depth of love that Jesus Christ really has for humanity. Remember, this whole event started with him being terribly put out when he was wanting some much-deserved R&R. Yet because of the depth of his love for people, he spends three days with these people, pouring himself out for them serving them diligently by healing them, feeding them, and you can add teaching them. I can, all I can say is, you know, after today, I hope that the love that Christ and God has for mankind is not a question. Because not only did he come to die for your sins and to allow himself to be crucified for the sins of mankind, he also came to live for mankind and show us the depth of his love through his life and through his service unto us. Jesus Christ showed the same love for these people that a mother has for her own newborn baby. And yet they were sinful human beings that were selfish and greedy and evil, just like me and you. And Jesus knew this, and he knows this, because guess what? The Bible tells us that he's God, and God knows the intentions of our hearts. So going into this, Jesus knew that these people weren't good people, oh, just nice, kind, loving people. No, they were only there because they wanted something from him. If they didn't have any need, and they weren't sick, and they weren't ill, and they weren't needing a healing, then they wouldn't have come. But because of their greediness and their selfishness, they come and ruin him and ruin his day and ruin his vacation. Yet he shows them the depth of his love anyway. If you were Jesus Christ, put yourself in his shoes, would you have treated slash served these people like he did? Well, I can tell you, being honest, standing up here, so you don't feel ashamed if you're thinking it, but I could tell you that I'd have a big problem with it. I'd have a big problem not saying, but this is my rest. This is what I came up here for. And I'd probably have thrown some kind of temper tantrum and people had looked at me and said, wow, this, whoa, why am I here? And then left. I'd have had a big problem with it. Would you have had compassion on someone like these in today's scripture that came to you only wanting something from you? I know in my life, I hate it when people come to me only because they want something from me. I hate that. I'm like, aren't, aren't, don't I mean anything to you? All you want to do is come to me because you want something? Ooh, I don't, I don't like that. So would you, because I know, again here, I would have had a big problem with only people that come to me only because they want something. How about us today? You know, he still knows our inward person. He still knows our true intentions in life. And we all, every single one of us, if we think for just a moment, can think of all the evil and all the wicked and all the nasty, even in intentions, that we've ever done. And you know you. And you know and I know what evil and what wickedness that we've done or that even what we've done today or yesterday. We know the kind of evil that we've done. If you were Christ, put yourself in his shoes now. If you were Christ and you knew all that he knew about you and about your past, would you still have compassion and love for the you that you know? I'd have a big problem with it. 
I'd have a big problem knowing the real me being God and then still having love for the real me. I got to tell you the truth. From my perspective, I would have no problem. I wouldn't even think twice about sending me to hell if I were God because of I know who I am and what I've done. Yet he still loves us and he still has compassion on us for us today just like Jesus did in the day when he was lived in the flesh on the earth. I sum up Christ's love, the depth of his love like this. If I had to put a whole summary on the depth of his love, I'd have to put it like this. He loves the unlovable. He loves the unlovable. Now, you may be out there thinking, well, Pastor Ed, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. You know, I've, I'm really not you know, as evil as what you're saying. Maybe that's you, but not me, Pastor Ed. I, I'm not really that evil. I, and I've done a lot of good, you know. Well, I have a question for you. Have you ever lied? Because I've lied. And if you've ever lied, what does that make you? That makes you a liar. And have you ever stolen anything? I've stolen lots of things. What does that make a, somebody that's stolen? It makes us thieves. And have you ever, outside of your marriage, outside of your relationship with your wife, whether husband or wife, or spouse, have you ever lusted at another human being in your life that's not been your spouse? Because I know I have. Well, what does that make you? Jesus said, even if a man lusts for another to, looks at them to lust for them, then that makes them an adulterer. So you've just broken just three out of God's big Ten Commandments. And Jesus said that there's no one good, that all are evil, that all are sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So folks, people, no one's good. I don't care how good you think you are. It only takes one sin to separate you from God. We're all evil and we're all wicked and you've all broken probably all the Ten Commandments, probably a hundred or a thousand times over. So don't think, well, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. You know, I've done some good things and lived a good life because you've sinned and you've broken God's laws. And if you have, you're a sinner. And the Bible says that the penalty for sin is death, or you could say hell. Nobody's good. All of us have sinned. Everybody's broken God's laws, and everybody deserves hell. Everybody. So the question has to be asked. Why did Christ Jesus demonstrate this kind of love for these wicked, greedy people when he lived in the flesh? Well, let me ask you, why do you show love for anybody you know? Why do you have any love for anybody that you know? And I can answer that because you hope you show them love, that they'll love you back. You love them. What do you naturally want? I show love. I want to be loved back. Well, God and Christ still love mankind the ways that they showed us in the Bible. And what does God want? God wants us to love him back. And he didn't just say, love me by your words, for God gives us a demonstration of love in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, the love that he has for us is not just a word of mouth love. It's a word of, it's a love of action. So that's real love. Love is a verb. Love is action. God didn't and doesn't still just tell us that he loves us. He proved it to us with his actions. So let me ask you a question. Think of this. We know how much Jesus Christ loves us. Oh my goodness. You can't hardly read the Bible without seeing how much Jesus Christ really loves us. It's, it's impossible not to see. And as our sermon today, the depth of his love for us is, is, you could put anything in there greater than whatever you can imagine. It's greater than everything. 
So we all know how much God loves us. And if you want to know how much God loves you, you just have to go to the New Testament of, the, of any Christian Bible at all, period, and just see it and that God loves you. You'll see it right there. You know it. My question to you is, not me, myself, how are we responding to his love? As I said earlier, real love is an action, like the example that, of God and Christ showed us today. God showed his love for us by living for us. Do you show your love to him by living for him back? I hope and ask that you would examine your life today. Yeah. Examine your life today. Do you say the words, or you, maybe you say the words, I, I love you, God, I, I love you, Jesus. But if you don't really put what you say, your money where your mouth is, and if you don't really choose to live for him every day, then you're being deceived. Because real love is an action. Real love means that you live for God if you say that you love him. So many people today in our world are deceived. They, they, they say, oh, I'm, oh, I love God or oh, I love Jesus. And then when I ask them what God wants from them... And, they have no idea what God wants from them, except for, oh, well, to be a good person. Well, again, being a good person sure does bring glory to me. But are you living your life to bring glory to God? Are you living your life for Him? Or are you living your life for yourself? What does it mean to live for God? What does it mean to show God to love Him back? The Bible says that God wants you to surrender your life to Him. To lay down your life to Him and surrender to Him and trust in Him and then make a decision in your life to say, I'm going to obey God Almighty. I'm going to seek His face and I'm going to look at what He says for how, to meet, how I should live and then I'm going to obey God Almighty. I want to live for Jesus. I don't want to live for me anymore. God, I need you. Please, I'm tired of living the way I'm living, Jesus. I need you. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. So please examine yourself. I hope you're not deceived. I hope you, if you say, I love God and I love Jesus Christ, then you put your money where your mouth is. Because if you don't, you're in a world of hurt. For Jesus says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord. I've done all these good works. Again, who was getting the glory? And they'll say, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness, depart from me. I never knew you. So God loves you. And we all know God loves us. It's what step we're going to take to respond to the depth that God has for us. The depth of that Christ has for us. So please examine yourself today. And if, if not, if you find yourself, I'm just, I'm not. I'm, you know, I don't respond to God's love. I, you know, I just live any way I want. Oh, you know, then now is the day to repent. Now is the day to turn to God. Now is the day to turn to Christ. And say, I've had enough. I don't want to be fraudulent anymore. I didn't know love was an action. Well, now I know. Wow, i got to respond back to his love. Just knowing that he loves me is not enough. Well, no. Same as if you knew your husband or wife loved you, and yet you never did anything back. You never, you never took their hand. You never did it. You just, oh, I know she loves me. I'm, I'm good. Unless you get married. The love that one another has for another. Unless you commit to a relationship, the love that one has for another is useless. So God loves you. Will you love him back? Turn to him today because he showed you his love for you. Will you start loving him back, please? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the love that you showed us in Christ Jesus. For Lord, your love really does run deeper. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for living for us and serving us and pouring yourself out for us, Lord God. And thank you so much, Lord, for dying for us, Lord. For laying your life down on the cross, for sacrificing your life, Lord God, for the sins of the world, Lord. Wow. And then, Lord, all you want in return is to be loved back. <laughs> Jesus, you said the first two, all the commandments lie on these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. 
and love your neighbor as yourself, Lord. The very first thing you want is you just want to be loved back. You want your affection to be returned back to you. I just pray, Lord God, for those out there that are listening, wherever they are, Lord God, that if they say they love you, then they would live lives like they love you. And Lord, if they're out there and they say, well, no, I've never said I love God, I never said I love Jesus, then Lord, I pray that you would show them and continue to, to, to just, Lord, pull them and show them the love that Christ had for them then and us now and that he lived his life for us, Lord, and not just died a death on a cross, which is amazing too, Lord. It's supernatural, but Lord, but that you came to be a servant to all, that you came to be a bondservant, that to serve us, to pour yourself out for us, Lord, to show us your love in action, Lord, not just by word, Lord. Wow, that the God of all creation came to serve man. Wow. Lord, draw that one that's not yours to you by your love. For your word says, Lord, it's the love of God that draws men to repentance. I pray that those that are out there that aren't yours, they're not walking with you and they say they don't love you. Lord, I pray they'd see your love here and I pray they'd be drawn to you uncontrollably, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would save people today. I love you and praise you, dear God. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.